I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Christian Cruz Limsico from Amsterdam, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Well, thank you. And hello, Dristian in Amsterdam. That's a very cool name. Isn't and it? Oh, a I love that very name. Cool, very cool place to live. Uh, well, I, I say that. I've not actually been to Amsterdam. But uh, once travel is possible again, uh, I would love to go. Mm. Um, but yeah, not, not for a while, I'm sure. But anyway, thank you, Dristian. Uh, and thank you for backing us in last year's Kickstarter. Thank you to everybody that has backed us in this year's Kickstarter. We have reached our target. We are still crowdfunding. It's open for another uh, 45 days, mm. I think, up to the start of the Australian <laughs> Open. Um, look, we've, we've hit our target. We will be bringing you podcasts next year uh, and they will be bigger and better. And if David Law has anything to, <laughs> to do with it, more numerous uh, than even this year but um, if you want to chip in um, do your bit and be part of it or get yourself an intro or be part of our predictions competition um, or a shout out or a private podcast um, or become a guest editor any of those things are possible if you just want to buy us a beer or some cheese or you know a new front tooth any of those things <laughs> Uh, then you're very welcome to do so and all of it will be appreciated and all of it will be put to good use. You know, we'd love to be able to guarantee you that we'll do a certain amount of travel next year and and travel to events specifically for the podcast. We really hope that that's what we'll be putting a lot of funds to use for next year. But obviously we're not in a position to be able to absolutely guarantee that at this stage because of the pesky old pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and speaking of uh, the old coronavirus, it would seem, um, and this isn't absolutely confirmed, but it would seem, uh, this is via reports from John Wertheim, um, who is a very reliable source and he's reporting it quite confidently, that Indian Wells is on the brink of being cancelled for 2021. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, another jarring moment isn't it because that's where all of this started it at least became moved into our consciousness in a in a really visceral 
immediate way um, when it was cancelled the night before you were about to to fly there. And and (laughs) I, I think the assumption was really that as the year went on, particularly... I suppose particularly now that there there is a vaccine on the horizon, albeit however long far down the road in terms of everybody being able to benefit from it, the assumption was that 2021 things will start to hopefully get back to normal and that Indian Wells will be able to happen at least, you know, because that didn't happen last year. And to think that two years in a row it it may well not run is uh, is quite hard to take. It's Look, grand scheme of things, I know it's... It, it, it's not as big a deal in people's lives as many, many others. But in our, in the tennis world, that is a another moment, really, another point in time that just shows how devastating this virus has been to the world and to the sporting world. Obviously, it'll open up a gap in the calendar, um, which which may be enticing to some tournaments. I wonder if it'll be enticing to Tennis Australia, who we've heard reports that they will sort of plan an Australian swing post the Australian Open to to try and make it more worthwhile, players coming over and quarantining. The current situation in terms of reports um, on that, on when the Australian Open and, and surrounding events will happen. And there's a number of very reputable sources reporting this as well, John Wertheim, the Spanish newspaper Marca reporting this, that the most likely scenario is the Australian taking place, Australian Open taking place three weeks later than planned. So starting on February the 8th, um, with a quarantine period beginning from January 15th um, and then a a week's uh, practice week, possibly with a, a, an additional um, warm-up tournament that week taking place immediately prior to the Australian Open. And crucially, qualifying is reported to be taking place not in Australia, most likely in the Middle East, possibly Dubai, and that would be three weeks prior to the Australian Open so that any successful qualifiers would still be able to complete the quarantine period in Australia. And crucially, you wouldn't have to travel to Australia and complete the quarantine period only to uh, fall in the first round of qualifying, which I imagine would be a pretty heartbreaking scenario and a bit of pill to swallow where that leaves Australian players or Southern Hemisphere players um, that that would play qualifying. I don't know. I mean, it's obviously not a perfect solution, but I can see, Matt, why it's quite a logical solution given given the circumstances we're dealing with. I think in these difficult situations, you have to go with what benefits the most people as possible. And for the majority of players, the Middle East is on the way to Australia. Lots of them stop there in normal times anyway to play uh, a warm-up event for the Australian Open. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all the reports are are making quite a lot of sense, I think. But obviously, it's these are still reports. We don't we don't know that this will happen, but we're we're thinking it will. Um, but yeah, I mean, as as David said, it's it's kind of still a bit disconcerting that you know we're we're so close to this and we still don't know for sure the the solution, and we're heading into twenty twenty one with yet more uncertainty. I know that's that's just the reality at the moment, but it's but it's not. It's not easy, and it, I'm sure it's not easy for the players, not knowing when and where they're going to be starting their seasons. Just an idea, by the way, for Australian qualifiers. <laughs> um, 
if qualifying you... relived <laughs> now we're talking um no just if i were a tennis australia i think what i would do is make all the wild cards australian and have a qualifying competition in australia for those wild cards Mm. They'll, most they'll certainly them. have to do something separate for mm. Australian for Australian players. It's pretty ludicrous to expect them to, or even want them to, to travel outside of Australia. Um, yeah, I just that's not going to happen. There will be a solution if the powers that be are listening to this, David. I'm sure it'll be that solution because <laughs> it seems to make perfect sense to me. Uh, there are also reports that uh, Dubai will be a season opener uh, on the WTA tour. Obviously, ordinarily, um, both tours hold an event in Dubai back-to-back weeks. So I, I suppose it, it it could become an ATP tour opener. But at the moment, the reports are just that that would be a WTA tour opener, um, which, it again, sounds like a not-too-shabby idea. I mean, it's... It's tennis taking place in the sun, um, which is which is really what I'm hoping for from January. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one big movable feast, isn't it, at the moment? And uh, I think that the Australian government's reaction to to all of Tennis Australia's plans over the last six weeks have probably taken Tennis Australia by surprise in just how unaccommodating they've been to some of the plans um, and some of the quite proactive interviews and, and comments that, that Craig Tiley, who's a very innovative tournament director but and somebody who who does is out there in terms of of making his thoughts available and, and known uh, I think maybe they might have taken exception to, to some of them and decided that they were just they were not going to be told what they're going to be doing or or or, or just making it very clear that the, the, their situation is the important one. Tennis can fit in. Um, and and absolutely fair enough, really, um, from, from a public health perspective. Um, but it does mean that I think tennis has to be incredibly flexible right now. Just make the damn thing work somehow around whatever you've got. That's all they can do. I mean, it Ideally, it wouldn't be in this position. Maybe, maybe there's something that could have been done differently. I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not party to the discussions. Maybe the planning could have been better. I just don't know. But from here, where we are right now, it's got, it's just got to make it work somehow. Yeah, please just make some tennis happen. Um, and apparently, if there is a a practice week um, in Australia, sort of post quarantine period prior to Australian Open, apparently players will have to pick a designated other player to be their practice partner for the week. So that will be like a sort of, you know, love is blind type dating programme for tennis players. any male and any female player alone as your practice partner, who would you have? I'd have John Millman. Well, I don't know what what are desirable traits in a practice partner. I think you don't want somebody... That is, you don't want a sh- trick shot guy no, bo- or girl. Bublik exactly. is out. Yeah, I'm not having Roger <laughs> Yeah, you Federer. don't want that. Bublik was the you, first name that came to mind. I do not want to practice with you for two or three weeks. You solely. want a nice steady ball, yeah. I think. Yeah, you want David you want Goffin. A sort of, you want a human ball machine, David Goffin. Yeah, I'm having John Millman and I'm bringing Caroline Wozniacki out of retirement. <laughs> 
Yeah, so Simona Halep, I think, would probably be great. Yes. She yes. still gets um, angry at herself, though, and then I don't, I'm not, you know... Well, I think that's fine. That's over the other end of the court. You might be able to get some Darren Cahill input yes, if you have Simona Halep sort of listen, listen in. in. Yeah. Mm, I don't think you want Nadal. No, you'd be knackered. Yeah. You, you're, I'm scared. Yeah. Your tournament's over hit- before it started. <laughs> <laughs> and he hits the ball harder in practice, doesn't he? So it would be terrifying. Um, I'm not sh- not sure you want Dominic team. Yeah. But Bu- Bublik will be left on the bench. Hmm. And I don't think he'll mind. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that is uh, what's happening. Well, or m- might be happening. Who knows what's happening? Uh, more uncertainty about the start of next year. I'm having Kiki Burton's um, and John Millman. Oh, well, Bosniaki's been dropped then. Well, she's still retired. She wasn't having it. I tried to persuade her to come out of retirement, but she said no. Um, in slightly more comforting, reassuring um, news from the last week, Roger Federer has reacquired his RF logo, which, of course, was sort of lost in the ether when he switched uh, sponsorship from Nike to... Uh, uh, is, is it Uniqlo? Correct. Yes, Uniqlo. Well, they're not going to sponsor us, are they? Well done, Catherine. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Uniqlo, great brand, brilliant. Um, they've acquired the Sales RF logo. Pitch by Catherine. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and it, his announcement of this news was via <laughs> via a online video which was just laden with dad jokes. Amazing. It was so wonderfully comforting, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's uh, Federer we're very familiar with. And, yeah, he sort of pretended that they were in a box and they weren't in a box and that suddenly they were all next to him. And, yeah, I mean, it is quite a big deal for him to have that logo back. I mean, that's probably the thing you see that's tennis-related most outside of a tennis environment, possibly. Just, like, there have definitely been instances where I've just been walking along the street and I've seen people in Federer hats. You know, that that mm. is a big a big deal that logo for him uh and last bit of news if you can call it that before we move on to our awards show um is that carolina pliskova has identified a coach that she hasn't already worked with and she's employed him yeah and he has identified a player he hasn't worked with as well. Uh, it's Sasha Bayin or Bajin. I'm not really sure. Um, but anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting alliance. Um, I think Pliskova has worked. She recently split with Danny Valvadu. She's worked with Conchita Martinez, um, Thomas Krupa, I think. Um, Renee Stubbs. Yuri Vanek. And Sasha Bayin has coached. Caroline Wozniacki, or being a hitting partner with Victoria Zarenka, Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, Kristina Mladenovic, and Diana Yastremska, uh, most recently. And I mean, look, he's the players that he's worked with have had some exceptional results, including Osaka with with two Grand Slams. Um, and it will just be very interesting because Pliskova, I think we had come to the conclusion, was a player who was never going to win a Grand Slam despite her top five in the world consistency. We. I'd I'd come to that final view over the last year or 18 months. And I do think that this association just has me interested as to whether that might change because I, he, is, he is different. He does seem to get different results out of people 
compared to their norm. I mean, even the brief time he was with Mladenovic, she she had some really good results. Um, so we'll see. That's the thing with Pliskova, isn't it? That that sense of doing something different for the slams. It feels like she plays the whole year on on one level, if you like, and that level has been more than good enough to win so many tour events and big tour events and she's been world number one and yes she has reached a grand slam final but that was quite a few years ago now and it's felt like she's declined at the slams and this is uh some fresh impetus and that kind of feels like what she needed um to do something different and see if that will work at the slams but there's so much that goes into a coaching relationship it's it's almost impossible to predict whether they're going to work out successfully. But just from that perspective of doing something different, I think it's an encouraging move. Mm. I mean, it's so clear what needs to happen with with Pliskova in terms, you know, what she'll be looking for from a coach and what will count as success. You know, he, he needs to uh, try and unlock her potential and make her a Grand Slam champion, which is what we all thought she would turn out to be. Frankly, if she ends her career without being a Grand Slam champion, given the opportunities there have been um, in women's tennis during her period, that will not have been achieving her game potential. So it's a very clear kind of target for them. Um, Yeah, it is going to be interesting. Um, So that's news. I think that's everything covered um, which brings us on to our end-of-year awards show. Um, now, you might remember from last year when we recorded this, it was immediately following our live show, which we we hold every year or have held every year for the past three years. Um, we held it this year on this Saturday, just gone. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, in some respects, it had to be held on Zoom. But... Um, we did not let that perturb us. And in fact, you know, the one bonus of that was that um, our our invitees from countries other than the UK and from parts of the UK um, that, that were less accessible for the live show, which has always been held in London, were able to come. And that was really, really lovely. Um, it was for, for people that had backed us at predictions level and higher. So if you do that for next year be able to come to our live show which we hope will be you know in an actual room all together again next year i hope that's not too much to hope for we held it at queen's last year but anyway it was on zoom and it was lovely and um yeah thank you for coming to that and i hope you enjoyed it if you did um and we're going to do it all again now yay yeah (laughs) and there are eight categories um, the winners have already been decided because they were voted on on Saturday, but I'll I'll do a big dramatic reveal for for the listeners. Um, so David and Matt, if you could sort of pretend like you don't know that you've won or lost your category, I can't remember now. <laughs> that would be great. I mean, to be to be honest, there were plenty of categories where all, all three were worthy worthy winners. I think yes, and there were also probably a couple of categories where there was a a very clear standout and we sort of added extra options for the purpose of debate and discussion yeah for the lols yes yeah there were a couple of a couple where i got zero votes so 
Yes, and I'm very sorry to everybody that weren't everybody that wasn't able to attend on Saturday missed the sort of the moment where I requested votes for David Law, and there was just a tumbleweed across the Zoom gallery. Despite my my oh, I did a good job too, and I'm going to yeah, do it again. At least now. you didn't have a sort of panel of your family members. David not voting for you, which is what I was confronted with. Hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Every cloud. I got frequently distributed. My parents joined separately, so they were in separate um, boxes. And Rosie was sort of darting between the two, <laughs> <laughs> the two rooms. So I was frequently getting distracted by uh, by dog action, which is just fine. Pressuring for certain votes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Rosie, lovely. Okay, so. Uh, category number one, there are eight of these. Uh, we've each got a nominee uh, in each category. We'll we'll make our cases, and then I'll 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 tell you who who won. <laughs> Great format. <laughs> and we've got some honourable mentions. And some honourable mentions, courtesy of our crowdsourcing, yes. um, which wasn't included on Saturday, and which actually, you know, I'm not generally a fan of sort of asking people what they think on the internet. But it, <laughs> it has, it, there have been some really, really interesting uh, responses. So thank you very much. Thank you, internet, for for not dredging up awfulness. Our, our internet mostly is pretty, pretty good. So, you know. yeah. Yeah, but you know I always focus on the one idiot and not the 150 lovely people. Yes. Anyway, anyway, thank We're you. To get thank her you. Out of that. <laughs> right, let's start the awards. We start with player of the year. Um and I would like to make the case for Sophia Kennan for this because she reached the final of two thirds of the Grand Slams that she played this year. Uh she won one of them, obviously, and the the manner that she did that um that the game she played, I think the fifth game of the third set coming from Love 40 Down and playing what she described as the five best points of her life um, will live with me forever, I think, that game. And to, to be honest, I was thinking about this. I f- actually find it a bigger achievement that she went on to reach the French Open final in the same year than that she reached that Australian Open final and won it. You know, we we have had a lot of, well, perhaps not a lot of, but we've had a fair smattering of surprise Grand Slam champions and finalists in women's tennis over the last decade. And not many of them, even these sort of, the players that were less of a surprise than Kenin at the time, not many of them have gone on to reach a, another final, certainly not in the same year. Um, Ostapenko, you know, I thought of Dominika Sybil Kova, um, Sarah, I know Sarah Rani did reach a couple of French Open finals, but, you know, not the same year. Um, I find that more of a surprise, actually. And she won another title on top of that. You know, she's showed consistency throughout the year. And let's face it, this is all with quite a limited game. You know, there's no big weapon that you can look at and say, that is the reason she's doing this. But I think people were picking her to be to be sort of a player that's there or thereabouts in the top 20. I didn't hear anybody picking her out as a future Grand Slam champion. She doesn't even look at the tennis ball when she's serving. <laughs> so I find it all pretty extraordinary. Um, and her results this year speak for themselves. David, who's your player of the year? Well, 
When I was looking at the list of possibles, I, I did think, you know, there really isn't an absolute standout here this year. It's it's not completely obvious to me. I think Rafael Nadal would be a good choice, you know, for what he did at the French Open. Um, I think Naomi Osaka would be an excellent choice, having won the US Open and in the manner that she did it. Um, and I definitely think Kenin is, I can understand why you've chosen Kenin. Um, but and my selection is Novak Djokovic. And I base this entirely on what's happened on the court. Um, if we start factoring in what happened off the court, he would be nowhere near it for me. Um, but this is about on-court performance. Um, and the way he has assembled a 41-5 win-loss record over the course of the year, and the way that he began the year, winning his thir- first well, he won 36 matches in a row. He won the Australian Open. He won the ATP Cup with Serbia. And he obviously is the major part of the reason that they won that. Um, he won Dubai and then tennis stopped. Um, he comes straight back. He wins Cincinnati, uh, the, the the event held in New York. And then that freakish event happened in New York. Now, yes, it was his fault, um, but it was still freakish. Um, and... I think he would have won the US Open if that hadn't have happened. Um, obviously, we'll never know. But but I still think when you consider that and the fact that he then won Rome and that he reached the final of the French Open, to me, he's the player of the year. You don't get to call upon alternate universes, David. <laughs> Just did. In your argument. If that hadn't happened, he would have done this. So let's include that in his list of achievements. No, <laughs> no. Matt, who would you like to nominate using only... Current universe arguments, please. <laughs> Does the start of 2020 count as the current universe? <laughs> that is, touche, a very, very good philosophical question. Um, I've gone for Dominic Team. I think, as you've said, more than ever, this was a year where the slams were such a focus of the year, given that we didn't have five months of tennis in the middle and that they were con- there was this condensed period with kind of back-to-back slams and... Team won more matches at the Slams than any other player this year, male or female, 17 in total. Australian Open final, US Open title, French Open quarterfinal. Um, I actually think that French Open quarterfinal is even better than it sounds, considering he'd just come off the back of winning his first Grand Slam title at the US Open. He didn't play on clay before Roland Garros. And I think there are only three players, men and women, who reached the quarterfinals of both New York and Paris this year, and, and Team was one of them. So that was also a, a really good showing at a slam. Um, for me, as improbable as it is that Kenin did what she did this year, and Kenin would probably be my second choice, I would say. But I think it's you don't have to go back far for it to be just as improbable sounding that Team would reach the final of both hard court slams and the final of the ATP finals two years in a row. This year just felt like a complete validation of all the work he's put in with Masu over the last 18 months or so. And there's now a big debate to be had. What is his best surface? Is it clay? Is it hard court? And that, that would have seemed inconceivable not that long ago. Um, but I think more than anything, what he's done this year is is step into a void that we've felt for so long. Anyone who's had any kind of fatigue over Federer and Nadal and Djokovic 
carrying on winning everything, they've been waiting for a Dominic team. Someone who has won a Grand Slam title, broken the big three run of, I think, 10 or 11 slams in a row that they'd won, and also beaten those players along the way, not necessarily at the US Open. He didn't he didn't do it there, but he's got a three wins, one loss record against Djokovic and Nadal this season. He's kind of shown himself to be their equal. And he's done all of that without losing what makes him such an exciting player. Uh, he's, he's a player I want to watch, and I think there's quite a lot to be said for that as well. So he's kind of the whole package, I think, Dominic team. He's, he's, he's my standout this year. And he did all of it with frosted tips. <laughs> um, you'll be unsurprised to hear that uh, Matt and Dominic team won that category. Um, and as much as I really do believe in my argument for Sophia Kennan, I, ca- I cannot begrudge Dominic team that win. And uh, if I if I had to choose one tennis player to watch for tennis purposes at the moment, it would be Dominic team. Yeah. Um, I just I just can't get enough of watching his tennis. So, yeah, a worthy champion. Sorry, David, we regroup, we march on. <laughs> I should I should mention our honourable mentions. Mm, do. There was a lot for Rafael Nadal, as, as David pointed mm-hmm. out. The fact that what he did at the French Open, I think, really impacted a lot of people. I think quite a lot of people probably thought he might not be able to do that at the French Open this year, given the different circumstances. And yet he was pretty much just as dominant there as ever. And the way he beat Djokovic in that final was so spectacular. Uh, And also tying the Grand Slam record. I think if we had a category achievement of the year, that would would probably Mm -hmm. be it. And it it perhaps didn't quite receive the recognition just because of everything else that was going on this year, that those kind of records perhaps felt less important to us i don't know but you know he is now the the joint men's leader of grand slams with federer a record he's been chasing kind of all his career and this was the year he he finally tied it also for nadal 790 well actually more than that now isn't it uh weeks in the top 10 consecutively absolutely yeah another record he he broke this year yeah uh, breaking Jimmy Connor's record, he did that just before, um, just before the O2, and uh, pretty much every every pundit that I spoke to during the O2 about that was the record that they were most astonished by, because of the the consistency and the physicality and the strain required to to maintain that. Mm. Um, that was what they were most in awe of. And when you take into account that he has had injuries, he's had mm. quite a quite a lot serious of spells, ones. serious ones. Mm. That he's obviously went. It, I think that just shows that whenever he's been fit, mm. he's been at the top. He's been ra- he's been mm. racking up points. Obviously, so many of those coming on clay. But um, I suppose you could argue that that record would make him player of the last seven hundred and ninety weeks <laughs> rather than player of the year. But mm. anyway. 15 years worth. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Any other honourable mentions, Matt? Well, we had a lot for Naomi Osaka. And mm. I think this is a difficult category because I'm very wary of not wanting to contradict myself. You know, one of the main reasons that I don't see Novak Djokovic as the player of the year is largely to do with his indiscretions 
off the court. It, it does impact how I think about his year on the court. I also think you can talk about the fact he's not gained in the Grand Slam race, the fact he suffered that heaviest ever loss and the default of the US Open was an on-the-court thing. There's there's lots going on with Djokovic, obviously incredible results, but I can't take the year he's had off the court out of my mind. So sort of applying that logic, if you are counting off-court things, I definitely think the player of the year is Naomi Osaka. And the way I would sort of slightly get out of that hole that I'm in is, is I would call Osaka the person of the year. Uh, for sure, combining on-court excellence with off-court excellence. Um, and we had a couple of really nice tributes to Osaka. Wright Bryan said that Osaka's her player of the year, person of the year, if you like, for her courage, inspiring message and masterful tennis. And Filoni Macaroni oh. said for transcending the sport, for giving it meaning and purpose, for being modest and yet incredibly poised and powerful, for carrying the torch, for being a modern voice and for showing how far being yourself can take you. Um, I thought those were very well put words and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue against anyone who said that Naomi Osaka was the player, person of the year. And I also noted that she's just been announced among the Sports Illustrated people of the year they've they've gone with a sort of activist athletes as a as their person of the year and Osaka is listed among the five that they've chosen mm. and that you know just to put that in in perspective the only tennis players who have won that award in the past are Billie Jean King Chris Ever, Arthur Ashe and Serena Williams so, so that's that's the company that Osaka is keeping now courtesy of everything she did this year and it's it's all deserved I think well, I think it's fair to say, David, that you probably came last <laughs> in that category. After According all of that. to whom? Matt, well, Matt has just put you right in your place. Well, I'm perfectly happy with my pick. And as okay. I said, to me, player of the year is on court. And Novak Djokovic did what he did. However, uh, I am prepared to also admit that Dominic team was excellent. <laughs> Match of the year. David, you're up. The one and only Jennifer Brady against... Uh, <laughs> Middling American having a good run in a pandemic. <laughs> that was before. That was before <laughs> she, she won uh, or she reached the semifinals of the US Open. She, and she turned into a middling American having a great run in a pandemic. <laughs> she turned into <laughs> one of the most inspiring players I could imagine <laughs> on that particular night uh, in the semifinals against Naomi Osaka. It was, it was a joyous occasion because you had two players playing at what looked to me pretty much the peak of their powers. Naomi Osaka is just a slightly better player. Well, I mean, she is a better player and she produced her best at the same time and you just ended up with this spree of winners. When you looked at the stats, it was it was one of those where you, you kind of having to do a double take to realise that to make sure that's actually, that they've got that right. Um, because, but then it felt like that. When you're watching the match the the stats the 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 way more winners than unforced errors is what you felt when you're watching it and in my case describing it on the radio we were covering it in the middle of the night on bbc radio 5 live we'd made the choice that we would cover both semi-finals live because it was a big night of tennis and also you know middle of the night in the uk there's not that much on but and i i don't know how many people were listening but if they felt anything like how i felt when I, when i came off commentary of that match they would have felt uplifted 
And that's in an empty stadium where there was no atmosphere and yet they created atmosphere. And they did it on, I think it was, was it the day that they were celebrating the original nine? Um, mm. Which just felt so fitting. And um, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a memory I will take with me from this horrible year and always be warmed by. Well, I would like to nominate the match that followed that Serena Williams against Victoria Azarenka and I would like to take everything that David just said about that match and apply it to my nomination but sort of with 10% extra on top because I thought there was no way that Serena against Azarenka which was supposed to be the main event I thought given what happened with Brady and Osaka I thought it was just inevitable that it would be some sort of disappointment. And it turned out for me to be, look, I can't claim to remember every single one of the 22 matches that they've played, but that was the most gripping and enjoyable one that I can remember watching. And given their ages and, and the stages of their career, I find that extraordinary that, that they should be playing their best match of their rivalry now. Um, and, you know, there was the quality of the match, the drama, the comeback, the fact that they're both mothers, and also the fact that Ala, the 2017 Australian Open and the Federer Nadal final, this was something that we thought we might never have again. I didn't think we'd see Serena Williams and Victoria Azarenka playing this kind of match ever again and when you when you think you're not going to have something again you enjoy it all the more when you do and who knows we might we might not have it again now I hope we do but um yeah ma match of the year by far for me Matt yeah this was the unenviable task of trying to think <laughs> of a match that didn't take place on women's semi-final night at the US Open um I I decided to go back to January for this one and Federer versus Millman at the Australian Open. And I'm I'm very wary that I'm probably influenced by the fact that I was, you know, on the Rod Laver Arena watching that match and therefore had a very visceral experience of it. But basically it was my favourite genre of tennis match, I think, which is an, an all-time great in Federer on the ropes against an inspired opponent being pushed to the absolute limit. And I remember being surprised that the match was like that because they were really hyping it in the Australian media, as as you can imagine, you know, a, a home favourite against Federer. Of course, that's a big night session match. Um, we had John Millman being called a sensation in the hours <laughs> leading up to this. And, you know, I was I was sort of thinking... Really? I mean, yes, I know he's beaten Federer at the US Open, but that felt so condition-based to me. It felt like Federer just wanted to get off that court and Milman outlasted him. But I actually thought Federer might kind of might sweep Milman aside in this match. And that was so naive of me because clearly Milman causes Federer a lot of tactical tennis problems. And I'm still not convinced Federer really knows how best to play him and how best to beat him. Um the other thing that gave this match something extra to me was that it took place on that day where we did two podcasts at the Australian Open. It was that crazy day where Serena had lost, Wozniak had retired, Osaka had just lost to Goff, Sitsipas had gone out. That is 
so special when you get a day like that at a slam. It's it's like a chemical reaction. It's like something changes in the grounds. The atmosphere feels different. And suddenly I, I did have an expectancy about that match. And I did think, oh, my goodness, Federer's, Federer's in trouble here because things are happening. This is This is a day you can't explain. And, you know, the match turned out to be an absolute epic. Um, it went all the way to a 10-point tie-break in the fifth set, which for me is the perfect ending for a five-set match. Um, you get that moment where you know that for one player, they're going to end the match in rapture and the other player is going to be in torment. And the, and the line between that is so, so thin. And in the end, Millman had a lead, 8-4. The crowd was in this kind of frenzy. And uh, Federer stayed so calm amid that frenzy and managed to win the match. And then he he gave a finger wag. He gave the quote about the demons lurking. And I, I just look back on that now as kind of a, a legacy-enhancing match for Federer. So late into his career, knowing that he was injured, and yeah, it was it was, it was very very special. Um, and basically, everything was better in January, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I do love any tennis match that ends in a finger wag. Yes, I'm I'm a sucker for a finger wag. Um, you made a very valiant case there for for Milman against Federer, but of course, Serena against Osaka was the winner. Were there any uh, honourable mentions, Matt? Yes, we had quite a lot of. I was going to say love, possibly recency bias for Team Nadal at the O2. I mean, that was exceptional. It was. It was. Um, Quality-wise, it was extraordinary. Yeah, and Team Djokovic at the O2 as well, that, that semi-final, which mm. which went to a deciding set tie-break. Um, Krista says Team Gaston at the French Open mm -hmm. because it was totally unexpected. There was a lot of guts, heart and drop shots, plus 5.6 million people glued to their TVs in France. And Ali says Team Zverev, the US Open final, not the highest quality. Nope. But the first men's match in years where a first slam was at stake for both players and nerves showed that. And certainly as an occasion and as a as a tennis moment that, that match really did stand out and it certainly mm. delivered drama. Uh, I've got uh, just two little additions I'd like to make. Uh, one is that I, I've discovered since the, the show the other day that I'd written down in, in notes on my phone back in January, um, player of the uh, or match of the year contender, Kyrgios Hatchinov at the Australian Open. Do you remember that one? Uh, it, was, it was an incredible match, but it's so long ago, I just feel like we've all forgotten that. Matt, was that the one that we tried to get on court for and failed? Yes, you did... had a run in. <laughs> <laughs> did you I win? Had a run -in. <laughs> no, oh. I did not win. No, we didn't see any of that. We you spent a lot of time in, in a in a lobby area <laughs> of the um, Melbourne Arena. Yeah, we ended up watching it in Garden Square. Yes, we did. Hmm. David, I think um, you were commentating on it, weren't you? Yeah, I was, yeah. It was amazing. Uh, the other thing yeah. is, I, I, on the subject of finger wags, I think Solihull Simon might have done a finger wag the other day. After Wow, coming, that's baller. Yeah, after coming back from a 1-6 first set when I was playing like Roger Federer and I was just like hitting, I was hitting, I was hitting cross-court forehands to open the court up, then hitting a down-the-line forehand, coming in, 
and just popping away the forehand volley. I did that twice in the match. And I'm going to live off those two points for the rest of my life. The problem was, he won the second set 6-3 and then the champions tiebreak 10-5. So let's just you've hijacked move. The, you've hijacked the award show to sort of commentate non-live on your own loss to Solly Hull simon <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is also a baller move. <laughs> well, we can move on now. It's hope, fine. You, hope you enjoyed that interlude. Moving on. Well, next one's peak uh, weird moment. You can have that. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Stop hijacking. <laughs> it's most uplifting moment. It wasn't that. Gee. <laughs> most uplifting moment of the year. Matt, you're first. <laughs> yes. Well, having just made a case against those two <laughs> <laughs> women's semifinals... I'm I'm now going to take back everything I've just said. And that was my most uplifting moment, women's semifinal night at the US Open. Um, and the case I made for this is that, you know, tennis had been back for a few weeks by this point. And I, I hadn't been invigorated by it. I was I was grateful it was back. I was enjoying it. But I hadn't lost myself in a night of tennis or a match of tennis since since it had returned. And that's that's probably partly because that most often happens at, at the slams, you know, where the, the biggest events, the highest stake moments. But, you know, the US Open was fine. It was it was enjoyable, but there was nothing really sort of spectacular until we got to women's semifinal night. And I remember it just being a, a realisation that even in these times, tennis can be wondrous and you can really be uplifted by a tennis match and I remember having that feeling even though it was three o'clock in the morning where we were four o'clock in the morning even I just didn't want it to end it was a it was such a incredible night of tennis for the drama the quality um and also as as David mentioned the fact it took place on on the day they were celebrating the original nine Billie Jean King was in in the stadium it was all so perfect and yeah that was that was the moment for me where I just I just suddenly felt, oh gosh, yeah, tennis tennis is amazing again. And I hadn't I hadn't felt that for a while because we hadn't had it for so long. David? Uh, I went for an off court moment, which was Coco Goff's speech at a Black Lives Matter rally and it was a completely unprepared speech. It was off the cuff, she was invited up and just started speaking and it was only a couple of minutes long the clip I saw but I felt so inspired by it to to want to find out about what she was talking about and and I'm thinking this is a 16 year old doing this um I'm in my mid 40s and and I just feel I feel small listening to this because she she's so much more she's thought about this so much more deeply and and, and is able to put it into perspective that, that that i can't relate to and i want to relate to it and and i thought well if that's happening to me imagine what it's happening what's happening to other people watching this and listening to this and and it also made me think that's really just good for tennis that there's somebody like this in the sport coming through same with naomi osaka at a time when Billie jean king is in her 70s now the sport needs someone like this and and she just inspired me and i found it truly uplifting um and uh yeah long long may she she thrive because um that was an incredible moment of the year mm. and I, I don't disagree with any of that i would just say that 
those feelings that you've described both described from those two moments i i got all of that from naomi osaka winning the us open and then some for me that is that is by far the moment i felt most uplifted by um in the this weird horrible year you know i i i don't think i could put it better than matt did at the time and did i think on last year's last week's podcast rather reviewing the year that image of her on her back on the arthur ash stadium gazing up at the sky with not a not a crowd member in sight just contemplating what she'd achieved with her tennis the fact that you know she's a pretty unassuming um shy character and the fact that she had those masks the seven masks bearing the name names of people that had unjustly lost lost their lives at the hands of law enforcement in the states given what she'd how outspoken she'd been over over the summer perhaps having the masks wasn't the huge surprise i found the huge surprise the fact that she told everybody so publicly that she had those seven masks and she intended to wear all seven of them she came into that tournament with a hamstring injury she'd withdrawn from her previous match and not not played the final of the western and southern open and yet she comes into the grand slam and says i've got seven masks and my intention is to wear all seven of them. That is not in keeping with Naomi Osaka's character. It's like she was possessed by something and what she was possessed by was something so much more important than sport and it did have a sense of destiny about it. Um, and what um, one of our listeners there, Matt, that you quoted earlier sent in about her achievement and her outspokenness about black lives matter gave the sport meaning and purpose this year and what can be more important than that particularly this year so it's Naomi Osaka and clearly she was the winner and I think Sky might be calling me hello Catherine speaking what was Sky calling for I mean are they are they trying to buy the rights to this award show <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, surprisingly, no. Um, they're coming to install internet and telly at my new flat, um, which I, I hope you'll all agree and understand is it is an essential thing. And I'm going to have to abandon this podcast and return to it in a, in a in a short while after I've dealt with Jamie, the Sky engineer. Um, so Naomi Osaka, obviously the winner. Uh, back soon. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Sorry about that, folks. We are back. I've got internet and Sky TV and paint in my hair, but uh, I'm back on the podcast train and raring to go. Where were we, Matt? Did your toilet work yet? <laughs> no, it is not. Don't rub it in, David. No, I've got Sky and in- internet, but no toilet or shower. So next week's podcasting could be interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank goodness but for Zoom. you have eh? your priorities in the right place. Exactly. I'll be watching Premier League years being smelly. <laughs> um, Matt, where were we? We were just finishing off the uplifting category and we have some honourable mentions that have come in. Uh, Mark Bright says Iga Sviantek's French Open run. The emergence of a brilliant new star is always great to watch, especially one with her game and attitude. Is he the former Crystal Palace footballer? Mm. Um, this is like when you ask me for extra information about a shout out. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid I don't know. Come on, Matt, up your game. <laughs> I'm going to say no. If you if you contact us or back us in some way, and you share a name with a person of note. Could you could could you please clarify whether you are that person of note? <laughs> that would be helpful. Great. That, now that point of order is done. I would say the former Crystal Palace player Mark Bright is scarcely a person of note. <laughs> <gasps> no, but I mean, if you're in he America, came, he came to Queens once. Example. Do you remember that, Matt uh, David? Yes, I do. Mm. Prolific, Matt. Before you mm. were born. <laughs> sure, but he's not transcendent yeah it's not messy is it it's not little messy okay <laughs> um yeah okay well thank you mark mark bright for that yes yeah yeah um we've also got jan who says nadal's continued realistic view of the importance of tennis during a global pandemic jan molby <laughs> former former liverpool player let's not get down this rabbit hole we haven't got time <laughs> Um, Sophia says today's tweet of Carla Suarez Navarro hitting tennis balls. Yes. Oh, very well said. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree with that. Alice Evans saying the bushfire relief work that tennis did at the start of the year. And Badger Boy says just seeing tennis back when at one point it looked like there may be no more tennis in 2020. Yes, here, here. All of those things were lovely. Um, 
Category number four is weird moment of the year or peak weird moment of the year because obviously the year has been exclusively a collection of weird moments. Uh, so there are many to choose from here. I've forgotten where we were with orders. This is category four. So I think it's probably me to go first. Uh, and my submission is the um, 32 minute long vlog unedited as he proudly declares multiple times definitely needed editing um vlog from stefanos sitsipas posted on the 26th of march so we're talking pretty early days in lockdown and he obviously went crackers very quickly um he's got a bottle of corona in the foreground he mentions on multiple occasions that the that the feature is not sponsored by corona I mean, no shit. No <laughs> no corporate entity is going to want to go anywhere near this. Nobody's watching that thinking, oh, I wonder if this is officially backed by Corona. No. Uh, he is sitting in what I assume is his kitchen, but it's lit like a kidnapper's dungeon. <laughs> and he's wearing an enormous raincoat, sort of, um, I know what you did last summer style. And he's... he's, he's talking without any punctuation about nothing of any interest whatsoever. Um, you know, he, at one point he just starts listing school subjects and tell, <laughs> starts telling you whether he liked them or not. Didn't like physics, did like chemistry. Good to know. Um, <laughs> and I would, I, I think the strongest case I can make for this being the weirdest moment of the year was that I at the time I failed to make it all the way through and I thought for for prep for the live show I'm going to watch this whole video I'm going to be diligent with my prep I'm going to be Matt Roberts like and I I couldn't do it I could not do it I got to 17 minutes so I'm not sure there's anyone in the world that's seen the last 15 minutes of that monstrosity <laughs> but if there is if you have let what, us know what happened okay <laughs> maybe maybe it got good <laughs> <laughs> maybe um who wants to go next david you're yeah. up well i'm going to go for serena williams walking out onto the lexington car park stroke center court um they did a very good job putting the tournament on i don't want to diss them unfairly um but seriously for the world's biggest tennis star arguably ever to walk out onto that little court um, in front of nobody with a mask on because at that time that's that there's still something we weren't really used to um, and just play out a match the likes of which you would normally see setting-wise in just a local club without anybody there at all. That was so weird visually for me. Um, so, yeah, Serena Williams in Lexington. Matt? I've gone for that very weird hour of the year where Diana Yastrzemska's attempts to support the Black Lives Matter movement and racial equality were splattered all over the internet. Um, for anyone who didn't see it, she posted pictures of herself, I think in the nude, with half of herself painted black. Um, and... Yeah, I just don't really understand how anyone didn't didn't say I don't think you should be doing this. This is not 
appropriate. This is offensive. And she she kind of made things worse with her apology. It was one of those apologies where she didn't say, I'm sorry for offending people and I will educate myself. It was one of those where she said, I'm sorry if it's been misunderstood. And I'd kind of forgotten about this, but it, it's been picked up again recently by, I think, some tiktok creators have have found this post and um yeah it's 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 doing the rounds again on social media and i I thought it had gone away but it's back and it's had quite a lot of pickup yeah just a very weird a weird yastremska moment you could sort of set it to the music to ebony and ivory couldn't you and create a really horrific meme um but anyway it doesn't need to be made any more horrific than uh than it already was. This one, the the vote for this was very, very close, um, almost a dead heat between the three because there's been a lot of weird in 2020. But um, Stefano Sitsipas wins the day of weird uh, and that category. Uh, were there any honourable mentions, Matt? <laughs> there were a lot of honourable <laughs> mentions. Um, lots of mentions of those Instagram lives that Djokovic did. Oh, crikey, yes. Mm-hmm. With the water, the water stuff, and the oh goodness, yeah, uh, lots of mentions of the understandable lack of crowds at the U.S. Open, similar to what David was saying, but such a big event with no crowd. Um, Stuart Hill says team blocking a sixty-eight mile an hour Zverev second serve during the U.S. Open <laughs> final. That was pretty weird. Well, I would say I the sixty-eight that. mile per hour second serve was <laughs> was a submission in itself. Yeah. Um, Claire Evans says the French Open being in September and October. Yeah, those first few days of the French Open, the sonic Mm. boom. Yes, and Russell Miller points out Kenin Farrow Coachgate from the French Open when uh, Sophia Kenin's dad encroached on uh, Manuel another. Yes, very strange. Uh, Nathan Smith says dogs on sun lounges indoors. Not weird, (laughs) just great, Nathan. Yeah. (laughs) Mark McDonald says Bernard Tomic's OnlyFans debut. What's this? Is this the porn? Is this the porn thing? Yes. Yeah, we've not even covered this, but Bernard Tomic doing porn seems to be a thing (laughs) that's available in the world. Is it? Yeah. 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 I know your face is saying, are you sure we're not going to get sued for this? But I believe that Bernard Tomic wants it to be known that his porn is available to buy. For a price, apparently some people have been disappointed that the price is in (laughs) fact, there are some hidden costs. The price of Bernard Tomic porn is actually higher than advertised. Um, So try it out. Let us know whether it's... uh, (laughs) worth the price tag <laughs> I think we've got a new entry for, for Peak Weird I think that's won the day hasn't it shall we move on <laughs> I'm not sure David can I'm not move sure David on can, can say words at the moment the next category <laughs> is pandemic faux pas of the year uh, Matt over to you Stri- I mean strictly speaking this is not pandemic related it's not a pandemic faux pas it came about during the pandemic let's be honest i was just looking for a way to shoehorn this in and fit my own agenda um i've picked the ultimate tennis showdown as my faux pas um i do feel like i've said my piece about that but for the purposes of this awards show i've really 
tried to knuckle down and pinpoint the thing that really made me annoyed with it. You know, I could go on about the gimmicky, stupid cards or the ridiculous nicknames, but I understand that some people like that. I mean, for me, that was a massive turnoff, but some people got enjoyment out of that, and that's fine. And generally, I am in favor of innovative exhibitions. But I think my biggest problem with the Ultimate Tennis Showdown was the way it was pitched by Patrick Muratoglu as not just being a little bit of fun. Um, this was genuinely his vision for what the sport of tennis should look like to bring in new fans. He thinks this kind of radical overhauling of the scoring system to make it shorter, quicker, something akin to the four quarters of 10 minutes that they had at the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, he thinks that is the way forward. And I personally see that as a dangerous, unsettling development. Um, and I think the two big problems I have with that is that that's a, that's a scoring system to me which completely misunderstands tennis and rips it of its essence and most fundamental element, which is that you have to win the final point. If you don't have that, I just don't think you're understanding tennis. So many of the great matches we, we relived this year were great because winning the final point became a struggle. And if you can run down the clock, you, you lose that. Um, and Muratoglu was referring to a report which had which said that the average age of, the ten, of a tennis fan is 60. And that report has shown to be not nearly thorough enough as a foundation on which to form your radical transformation of the sport. You know, it only surveyed people in America and it only surveyed people watching tennis on TV, not taking into account other countries and streaming services. And I, I mean, I would love for there to be a proper report into tennis's watchership and viewership and the best tennis minds to come together and think of a way that the sport can be improved. Because I think it'd be arrogant to think that it can't be improved. But does it need to be faster, noisier, like the UTS? I personally don't think so. And I would certainly want more evidence. Um, I think it can be tinkered with, but... You've also got to trust the sport and trust the viewer, I think. That's what Mary Carrillo says, and the UTS did not do that. What I should just add is he says that he sees it as running alongside conventional, traditional tennis rather than replacing it. Um, but the manner in which it was presented to us during the period where there was no other tennis, whilst I was pleased that there was some tennis around, or, you know, the, I applaud the, the entrepreneurial ambition of it in that regard. It was the way it was shoved down our throat as being exactly what its title is, ultimate. And a showdown that we have to watch. Well, I, most, most people I know weren't interested. Now, um, he, 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 his argument would be, well, yeah, but it's not for you. It's for all these other people we want to bring in. But we were presented with no numbers as to how many people were watching um, that format of tennis. And he was asked, he was asked, how many people have watched it? And he says, we don't give those numbers out. Well, that's problematic to me. Yes. David, you've just used your <laughs> nomina nomination time to agree with Matt. Well, it's all right. I'll just say... And if you didn't have such an important one in this category, I would, I would say <laughs> I would let that slide. But I think you probably do need to... <laughs> 
It's fine. Make I, your case. I'm just happy to say the words Adriator and leave it at that. You know, because uh, how can there be any more, f- any bigger faux pas during the pandemic than creating an event in front of packed crowds um, with ball kids that you're throwing sweaty towels to during a contagious pandemic um, that's sweeping across the world, um, partying in nightclubs, limbo dancing with shirts off. Um, one of the players bringing coronavirus into the country, testing positive, apparently passing it across the net to Borna Choric. This was Grigor Dimitrov to Borna Choric, the organiser of the event, as um, optimistic and hopeful he was that he was doing a good thing for his region, as Novak Djokovic no doubt was, um, picking up the virus himself, all the players going to get tested, he not, and going back to Belgrade with his family from Zadar in Croatia, and then finding out he's tested positive. Um, kids' days where people are packed together. Goodness knows how many people might have ended up picking up the virus that we don't know anything about. Um, and the final having to be cancelled as a result. Um, I, I just do not think it would have been really possible to do anything more wrong in the end. I mean, sure, a super spreader event that potentially cost lives, but, David, none of that is night train. <laughs> or drip. <laughs> or, or drip. But I, <laughs> I, I'm not even submitting drip. A, because I think night train just alone is a worthy submission. <laughs> and B, I think drip actually was released post, post, post well, not post-pandemic, because we're not post-pandemic, but post-lockdown period. So I'm trying to be strict, um, because obviously drip worthy candidate also um but yeah some 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 tennis players you know became activists for social justice spokespeople for social justice tried to um tried to campaign for for tennis players to to receive um funding and support during during the lockdown period kevin kraviets um the german doubles player he volunteered at a local supermarket disinfecting trolleys lovely these are all worthy pandemic activities. Well done, tennis players. Some people, you know, started producing podcasts about the past to entertain people. Great. All worthy uh, lockdown activities. Producing rap music that nobody asked you to do, despite the fact that you have no musical talents or qualifications. Absolutely not a worthy pursuit. And... If anybody's thinking, yeah, but maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, maybe, you know, you're just not the right demographic. I realise I'm not the right demographic. But I think objectively, and I'm going to read you the lyrics, objectively, regardless of your tastes, this is terrible. Here is a, a small lyrics selection. I said I needed food, getting hungry every time I hear a boo, losing track of all the flights that I flew. What did I do to get here? Ain't nobody got a clue. I grind for a living. In my life, I ain't never hit snooze. Look at these views. When I work for it, I ain't gonna lose. Recent results would suggest otherwise. Two raris in the lot, and I believe, I believe that is an abbreviation of Ferraris, Two raris in the lot. I ain't gotta choose. That's that's the music he produced during a a lockdown, a pandemic, a global pandemic, which is causing financial, social, 
and emotional chaos the world over. Who won? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think in a year where... I think in any other year, if a if a if a super spreader event hadn't been staged in East, Eastern Europe, I think we know what would have won. But yeah, okay, the Adria Tour won. Do, do I celebrate that? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Matt, any honourable mentions? Uh, Sam Query. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we don't have the final chapter to that story. We still don't know where he went or how long he was there for or how he made it home the next thing we saw from him was him off on holiday with a brian brother yeah we can kind of carry that one over till till next year can't we yes and also alexander zverev um kind of following on from the adria tour uh seen in sort of dancing at that party when he should have been self-isolating and then playing with covid symptoms at the french open Uh, a couple of terrible faux pas from him Tennis has had a lot of faux pas to choose from this year, hasn't it? Yeah. But some uplifting moments too, which we've covered. Um, So what we missed most this year is category number six. I think I go second here. David, do you want to go first? Yes. Well, I ended up going for Wimbledon um, because, I mean, look, I've missed loads this year. I've missed, obviously the atmosphere, the crowd, all the, all the things that everybody's missed about tennis. I've missed um, people coming together, really, and, and all the things about social life and tennis generally that, that the tours give you. But the thing that I miss most is Wimbledon. Um, I, I miss Queens enormously, but that's always a stressful event for me because of my role there. As much as I love it, I've always loved it. But Wimbledon isn't stressful for me in my role commentating on BBC Radio. Um, it's an incredible privilege that I, that I get to to do that job. Um, but you always know that you, there's only so many of them in your in your career, and there's only so many Wimbledon's you can watch in your lifetime. I know that sounds very extreme, oh, and God. you know, hopefully, hopefully, I have a long life and can watch many more of them. But to lose one when there hasn't been one lost to us all since the World War, the last World War, you know, it's um, it really hits you that that's when that happened. I I I don't know why, but that just amplified the scale of the the pandemic to me. Even though there are far more serious things that people might point to, but in my world, in our world, that's just an ever-present. Wimbledon happens. Wimbledon is such a focal point. And for it to just not not exist for a year really hit me very hard, I have to say. Mm. I should say that uh, in our long list um, of nominations for this category – uh, we had a, a Zoom meeting to go through them and decide what we each wanted to nominate. And the nomin- uh, and the long list, Matt had put each other in what we missed most. And David said, "Yeah, you can you can cross that off. I've seen a lot of you." <laughs> oh, we've been on this thing every day. Such a low blow from David. It was David. a really low blow. <laughs> but then when, when I actually started so thinking I've spe- about, I've spoken to you more than usual. <laughs> When I, when I start to think about, well, we've done 150 podcasts together. What more do you want? Um, but, but when I started to think about Wimbledon, that was part of it, was the memories of us last year 
sitting on the bench on Henman Hill recording this show every night during sociable hours with the sun setting, with a beer in front of us, with, okay, with Catherine getting stunned by a bee, but, you know, <laughs> there were pluses to that as well. Um, those those were wonderful memories, really. Um, mm. And so I, I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we extracted it out of him, Matt. Mm. Um, my submission for this is is crowds. Um, I, 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 when when tennis was well during lockdown, when we were sort of anticipating tennis's return, and it became clear that that tennis and sport would have to return behind closed doors without crowds. I think there were a lot of people saying, "Oh, we'll get used to it," um, and maybe we have a bit. We've adjusted, um, but I haven't got used to it, and I don't. I don't want to get used to it because crowds are completely fundamental to elite and professional sport. You know, so, so rarely is my enjoyment of a tennis match. So rarely does it directly correlate with just the quality of the shots being hit, the quality of the actual tennis. It's more often about occasion and jeopardy and stakes and atmosphere and I feel like all of those things um, are dependent on um, or at the very least heightened by crowds Um, and my football team Reading played on Saturday in front of a crowd of 2,000 people the Medeski Stadium for the first time in nine months and I wasn't expecting to be emotional about that because I love Reading, but the Medeski Stadium is not one of the most atmospheric stadiums in the country. It's it's a very modern stadium. It um, over the past season or two, it's struggled a bit for crowds because we've been absolutely rubbish. And Matt can vouch for that from firsthand experience. Um, but it, we, I was really emotional watching Reading play in front of two thousand people and hearing crowd noise on Saturday. And I realised that I've been lying to myself about how okay it is and how we're all coping just fine with there not being crowds. Um, We've all been, you know, convincing ourselves that it's fine and it's not fine. But it's okay for it not to be fine. Mm. Matt, what have you gone for? Mine's kind of a mix of both of those two things, really. I was was looking for a catch-all term for all the things I've missed this year and I ended up with travel. Because travel enables you to be part of a crowd or to go to an event like Wimbledon, live tennis events. And yeah, I, I've really missed traveling this year and having it having it as part of my life to plan around and look forward to and mark the passing of month to month and season to season. It's, it's such an in, integral part of why I wanted to work in tennis and be involved in tennis the ability to travel to the tournaments and and try and be there and you know they call it a tour for a reason I think um yeah I I mean having said that I know that David feels very sort of strongly that that's something he really hasn't missed this year and, and and I would say that has been a one of the pleasures for us I think David being able to spend more time at home and being so happy with that has kind of made us happy by association and um and I'm aware that 
people's own personal circumstances will really influence whether or not they have missed travel this year. But just sort of personally for me, it's it's something that I want to do as much of while I can and to have not had it certainly since since March is as yeah it's just been a real blow really we have enjoyed the before and after pictures of David watching uh at the Albion with his eight-year-old son haven't we the the joy and the hope in the before pictures (laughs) and the despair slash tantrums in the after pictures um yeah I mean again worthy submissions all of them but Wimbledon did Wimbledon did win out um, and goodness me, we all hope we'll be back there. I mean, they're planning for three scenarios, aren't they? And and all of them are Wimbledon taking place. Obviously, the worst case is without any crowds at all. But but fingers crossed that there will be some crowd and tennis podcast presence at Wimbledon next year. Matt, any honourable mentions for us? Uh, well, actually, lots of people said Wimbledon crowds and going to events. Mm. So I think we we sort of had them the three major ones covered there. Um, the WTA finals had a, had a few submissions. The Olympics had a few submissions, as did Bianca Andreescu mm. and Roger Federer. You know, mm. two two players who barely oh. well, in Andreescu's case, didn't play, in Federer's case, not beyond January. So heartbreak emoji. Mm. Um, uh, lots of uh, videos of Bianca Andreescu in, in training though that's looking very promising um, so on to category number seven which is shock of the year I'm going to go first with this one and it unquestionably has to be Novak Djokovic's default from the US Open I mean what what case can I make for it other than to say were you shocked when that happened? Uh, would would there have been a single person not shocked to the core when that happened? No. I mean, there, there wasn't a single person not predicting that Djokovic would win the US Open. There wasn't nobody was foreseeing any scenarios where he could be stopped. And yes, I suppose you could say, well, he's had something like this coming for a while. But not in a Grand Slam, not in a Grand Slam which he was nailed on to win, which would have taken him to, to 18 in in the Grand Slam race. Um, and within two, well, no, he'd have been within one of Nadal at that stage and within two of Federer. Nobody saw it coming. And obviously the aftermath of it with him exiting the site and everything kind of put the icing on the shocking cake. But um, it was a stop-in-your-tracks moment. It was a moment that made... The news news and not just the sports news, I always think that's a real measure of of how seismic something is. Um, and it will be remembered of one of, as one of sports' greatest shocks for years and years to come. Mm. Matt? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's it's very difficult to think of anything more shocking than that. that. That is the standout moment, the one we will be talking about for years. Something else which shocked me this year was... Victoria Azarenka's resurgence um, because in all honesty back in January I had her pretty much in the same category as Wozniacki and Sharapova. Wozniacki had already announced her retirement, Sharapova's felt inevitable and I thought Azarenka was, was going that way too and 
she herself has kind of said that that was what she was thinking. She thought many several times about retirement, and after January, it was just a case of trying to give it one last go. Um, tennis then shut down. We came back in Kentucky, and one of the most stark matches I can remember this year was Azarenka losing to Venus Williams, 6-3, 6-2 in 80 minutes. And it looked like we had all the evidence we needed that Azarenka's game appeared underpowered and outdated and she just didn't really have it anymore. And it was, it was quite sad. Um, and then <laughs> suddenly <laughs> we turned up at the Western and Southern Open and vintage Azarenka was back. She seemed to go from zero to pretty much a hundred instantly. No gradual transformation whatsoever. And she won the Western Southern Open, only losing one set. She then reached the final of the US Open. And as I said, she was looking pretty much as good as ever. We've already talked about that semi-final against Serena, one of the highest level matches you could ever wish to see. And all of the hallmarks and trademarks of her game, hitting it down the line, the, the grit in matches was all back. And it just happened so, so suddenly. So that for me was a was a real shock this year. Mm, it was. I didn't see it coming. I think Daniela Hantikova saw it coming and we all said, oh, God, she's she's she's, uh, she's gone in a bit heavy on Azarenka, hasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. More Not jumping us. on that bandwagon. <laughs> uh, David, what you got? I've gone for the surprise and, to me, shock results of Sophia Kennan and Iga Svantec coming out of this year as Grand Slam champions because I think it's easy to forget how we would have viewed them as individuals and players at the start of the year. And that's not to doubt that they would never win Grand Slam titles, but to think that they would do it this year, both of them would have seemed, I think, pretty unlikely, almost absurd. Um, we had Kenin, who was 14 in the world, who'd never got to a quarterfinal of the Grand Slam before and been beaten by Daniel Collins the week before, 6-3-6-1. Igish Fiontek, who was 61 in the world and had been beaten in less than an hour by Simona Halep a year earlier at the same tournament that she would then go and beat Halep, 6-1-6-2. Um, and so... The, and also the manner that she managed to win that title, dropping so few games, no set closer than 6-4. That, as a combination to me, was the biggest shock of the year. Mm. Well, they were all shocking moments. I'm, now that I'm hearing all of our submissions, uh, none, of us, none of us came up with the global pandemic, which caused tennis to come to a juddering halt, uh, which feels like it probably should get an honourable mention, Matt. Too big for tennis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there were basically two honourable mentions and pretty much everyone said either Djokovic's default or the pandemic, sure. shutting everything down. Sure, big year for pandemics. They, uh, they're creeping into every category, um, of which we only have one more and it's a little self-indulgent, so please excuse us this moment, but it's our podcast moment of the year. Um, many to choose from. Um, who's going first here? Who went first last time? Not me. I'm going first this time. Oh, go for it. Yeah. And I'm going to go uh, for the moment Matt spoke out on the allegations against Alexander Zverev. I think mainly because 
it wasn't until we recorded that podcast and, and Matt said what he said, and I'll just remind you what that was. Even if there was an investigation and if the allegations were found not to be true, I would still find it troubling and disappointing the way Zverev has handled it. Nowhere has he said that I abhor domestic violence and his voice matters. He needs to be denouncing emotional and physical abuse and saying that it's not okay, in my opinion. I listened to that at the time and that just made me realize that I was walking on eggshells the way I think many were. And understandably so, I think. Um, there are allegations, he has denied them, but there's a, a wider point to them than just whether or not it happened. Um, the, the lack of an investigation of any kind is troubling generally, but his reaction to them was just unsatisfactory to me on every level. Mm, absolutely. Um, a slight, uh, slightly jarring change in tone alert. <laughs> my, my nomination in this category is David's Diego Maradona story. Because I've known David Law for 13 years. I've, I've heard all the stories he has up his sleeve and hey, there are some good ones. We've all we've all heard them. You've got your you've got your being in a lift with Federer and him saying, "Why do I lose all the close matches?" Um, you've got your uh, wading through a, a pond at Queens, being pranked. Um, well, not realizing you're being pranked. Obviously, looking for a non-existent engagement ring. Um, you've got your having a blazing row with Marcelo Rios and or Evgeny Kafelnikov. You've got your um, kneeling on the court. <laughs> at Queen's during the famous Goran Ivanovic greg Rosetsky tie-break. You've got your your crisis comms after the David Nalbandian default. There are lots of hits. <laughs> 13 years worth of hits. And yet none of those stories is uh, shoulder-barging Diego Maradona, almost taking the guy out and getting getting booed by a crowd full of thousands of people. Um as I said in the live show, if I had that story in my arsenal, I wouldn't be telling any other stories. I'd just be telling that story on repeat. <laughs> I'd be I'd be introducing myself to people with that story. Hi, I'm David Law. I once shoulder barged Diego Maradona. These were the circumstances. Let's be friends. I'd have business cards made up with it on. Um, so, yeah, after 13 years of knowing David Law and thinking I knew what kind of guy he was... That was my moment of the year. <laughs> Matt, you're, you've got the last nomination of our 2020 awards. What By the way, D Diego RIP. Very sad news about him recently. Yes. 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 I, I, I now get to complete the circle of us, of us complimenting <laughs> each other's work, as we are calling this award. And I very genuinely think that the podcast moment of the year was Catherine's interview with Leslie Allen, which we included in our podcast on the life and legacy of Althea Gibson. And shamefully, I did not know who Leslie Allen was prior to that interview or the research for that interview. David knew that Leslie had spoken at the unveiling of Althea Gibson's statue at the US Open last year and that she would enrich this podcast episode. And boy, did she do that. Um, it was it was the perfect interview because she 
provided not only this amazing insight into the life of Althea Gibson, detail, kind of explaining how she was successful in a world that didn't want her, which was, you know, the real crux of our episode. But she also then contextualized Althea Gibson's life and showed us how her legacy is still relevant and still important. And then she touched on her own personal experience to take the podcast in a deeper direction and that of black experience in tennis and some of the the stories and anecdotes she told I found really really eye-opening and sad about draw fixing at a junior and an amateur level about not being able to walk through the gates behind white tennis players being stopped at the gates um about how if Arthur Ashe had acted like John McEnroe, he he wouldn't have been lauded, he'd have been vilified. All this all this insight, I think, was perspective that we couldn't provide and that, that podcast needed. And that was the winner of that category. Very little to do with me and very much to do with Leslie Allen, who was who was extraordinary. Um and is the rightful winner of our final award for 2020 let's hope that our 2021 awards don't feature pandemic or weirdness related categories <laughs> shall we um let's hope we can return to the boring old fair of coach of the year and all that jazz were there any honorable mentions matt oh yes there were let's show off <laughs> <laughs> Daniel O'Connor said Instagram.com. <laughs> that was great. Um, Puello Deir said the Bartley and Pays interviews. Yes. Uh, Krista said the Federer volleys are okay saga. <laughs> um, David Smith said the Yannick Noah interview was mm, sublime. Absolutely. Uh, Alex Green said the worst predictions podcasts. Patricia Carter said Mary Carrillo is always a treat. Yes, Patricia. And Sonia said, I found myself recollecting Catherine's stone soup story and chuckling many times. <laughs> I'll find a scenario in which that is actually relevant one day. Yeah, that'll be coming up again, folks. <laughs> Oh, that was our awards for 2020. That was the year that was. Um, that's not us done for podcasts for 2020, of course. We're back on Thursday with Matt. I don't know. What are we doing on Thursday? <laughs> haven't decided yet. Have we not? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. We're going to be twice weekly uh, for you for the foreseeable future, as we discussed at the start of the show. We don't know what the beginning of next season looks like, but um, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be staying with you right the way through. Um, and yeah, I'll remind you one more time that our Kickstarter is still live. So if you haven't backed us and you'd like to support us for next year and help us grow this show and make it the best thing it could possibly be. Um, then, yeah, go to kickstarter.com <laughs> and search for the tennis podcast. All the links in our show notes or via our social media, all of those things. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, folks. 
Yeah, it was good fun, that. Enjoyed do we, it. we don't have any shout-outs, do we? Because our, our laws were our last our last shout-outs for 2020. We'll have to wait for our, our incoming batch for 2021, of which there are already many, but there are spots open. So if you would like mm. your name dissected, I'm missing having names to dissect, <laughs> then you can pay to do so. Lucky you. Uh, Kickstarter.com <laughs> is the place for that. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, throughout this year we can't wait to do more next year and we will speak to you on thursday hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the official etf of the ncaa invesco qqq is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 